Hello and welcome this week to Talking Flutes with Claire Southworth. Hi Claire. Hello Jean-Paul. And me, Jean-Paul Wright. Yeah, we've done it the wrong way around, haven't we? You normally introduce Talking Flutes. Yes, I do. That's okay, I'll let you off. Ah, is it because I'm slightly louder than you? Probably, but also because you've just turned up today in Hove with all this brand new equipment. Yes. Which looks very impressive. Well, at least it makes my voice go deeper, you know. Yep. It's, it looks very, very professional. We're nearly at Christmas, aren't we? I've noticed you've got the decorations out already, but you're very um, very classy with your decorations, aren't you? They're quite subtle. They are. <laughs> but as we get closer to the day, more and more things will appear. They will, okay. Yes, I haven't got the presents out yet. No, no, you haven't. Um, but the, the tree's up? Yes. Just? But my lights aren't on today. I'm sorry, I forgot to put them on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a quick one next uh, next week on the 23rd, haven't we? We've got a very quick Christmas pod. So uh, we'll speak more about Christmas and what you do and what I do. And uh, we'll also talk Christmas puzzles because that's, that's sort of become part of my tradition as well. I know it's been a tradition it's, of yours for a long time. I didn't time. know that. No, it's, it's recently become one. Ah, it's, it's one of my great traditions, but we'll talk about that. We will. On the we'll, t- we'll talk about that uh, another time. Um, the aim of this one is to cover some of the questions that have been brought in, Claire. So I suppose the reason I'm hosting you is because you're the font of all knowledge with the questions that have come in. I'm not so sure about that, but I can tell you what I think and hope I don't miss anything out. I'm sure you won't. First one has come from a Steve Campbell. It's a Facebook question. And it's about the use of the curved head versus the straight head. Now, there's, in my perspective from the manufacturing and supply basis, there's the curved head flute, which smaller people use, or grown-up people that may have um, issues with their posture or with their hands. And there's also the alto flute, where you have a curved and straight head option. From the teaching, playing and performing perspective, what's your views on both of those? Okay, well, let's maybe go back to the basic concert flute. So the standard for the concert flute is a straight head joint. Yes. And the curved head joint, as you said, was mainly introduced to help younger or smaller players. And it brings the keys closer to the player. So the main benefit of this, um, besides allowing uh, the player to easily reach the keys, is that when the time comes to change the head joint, maybe to a straight head joint the size and the feel of the flute isn't different. So the the feel of the flute body doesn't change, which is really very important so that you can set the hand positions with a curved head joint. And when you go to the straight head joint, the hand positions stay exactly the same, which is unlike uh, the equivalent in terms of string players who often start on sort of three-quarter size instruments. Mm -hmm. So when they go up to the full size, it, everything's changed. So on the flute, it's, it's different. So the feel of the flute body doesn't change when you go to the straight head. I would imagine that curved heads would be really good for young players up to the age of about nine or ten. And many of your uh, starter flutes come with the option of either or. And the only, I suppose the only downside, but you could maybe tell me more about this, is that Curved heads are a little bit more expensive, aren't they? Yeah, they they are because you have to. You have to it's diff- an additional process of curving yeah. the head. The head and yeah, for like TJ flutes, we can supply with a straight head, as or a curved head, or a package with both. 
for me, and it was it's always quite interesting because when I pick a curved head flute up, my ears it sounds different to me because the everything is closer to it to me. I sort of don't have that. I don't know the length of the tube, the distance. Yeah, and it's almost that like I'm hearing, I'm in the hearing the sounds closer to my ears than I would mm. normally. Yep, but it also feels very comfortable. I find. Do you? Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's. Because your fingers feel closer, it sort of feels, I, I don't know, the control feels a little bit easier. Something you have to get used to, of course. Mm. Certainly if you're, if you're looking to start out on the flute or you are you know, a young beginner, it's definitely something worth considering. For but me, it's quite odd. I wouldn't play on one. No, but you're... you're <laughs> I'm you an old boy. <laughs> yeah, you're an old boy, so you don't need it. But the, where, where I'm coming from is that my, my experience... Many poor techniques develop from players starting when they're not quite able to reach the keys. Oh, interesting. So they're stretching. So that's why I say it's definitely worth considering as a start-up. Now, I've also played alto flute on, on a, a curved head and on a straight head. Personally, I prefer the straight head on an alto flute because it's slightly harder to hold the flute up on your lip with the curved head mm-hmm. on the alto. I mean, a lot of people will disagree with that, but for me, I just find it's easier to have the same feel of the head joint on an alto flute rather than the curved. And there's different ways. I've seen people playing with the 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 curved part flipped upwards. Yes. So the lip plate's on the top and the curve goes down under the chin and along. And I've also seen players play with it at horizontally with the tube. Yes. Yes. Well, you have that, that, you, you have that um, ability to change and everyone plays in, in a way that makes them feel comfortable. So do you think it's a size issue if you're a smaller reach, a smaller person, that the curved head, certainly curved head alto would be the way to go? Be the way to go, absolutely. But it's, it's trial and error, you know, so it's, you have to take advice maybe from your teacher or from the flute shops. The flute shops are full of specialists. They know what they're talking about. And they can advise you. So going back to your original point about having the curved head and it enables the the new player to get their to fix their hand positioning, correct hand positioning. I've yet to see, and I'm probably wrong here, but an open hold version of a curved head flute. So they all seem to be closed hole with a curved head. Yeah, you're right. That's interesting that. I and mean, I would think it's if you're gonna have a curved head. There's no reason why you couldn't have open holes. <laughs> no, and then sort of get you used to the open hole straight away, either the open hole in line or the open hole offset. Mm. Maybe we should talk to the manufacturers, John Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I, I just, it's as you said it. It's, um, be- it's common sense, isn't it? It is, because if you're going to set the hand positioning to cover the holes, mm. then if you've got a closed hole flute, you can have a bit. Of, you, you can tend to be a bit lazy, can't you, because the fingers can sort of pull back a bit can be very lazy and then you've got to relearn it when you go to the full length flute with the holes and that's where you see people with plugs and also open holes be just slightly lighter uh, um, i'd have to ask that technical so I, I suppose there's little bits of metal missing isn't there mm. six six little pieces of metal yeah and i would then also take that a step further that if you were to go down that route of an open hold starter flute do not provide stoppers. No, they won't need them because... Nah. They won't need them, but also that gets you... Uh, it, it allows you to be a bit more lazy with the hand positions. 
Oh, the stoppers, yeah. Mm. You just sort of pop them out when you're ready. Yeah, but people tend not to. Oh, do you sometimes see people with... I've seen people arrive as first years at the academy with with at least one or two stoppers in. Oh, really? Not often, but I have seen it. Because they, they can't... They feel they, they're not going to hit the the centre of the key. But the resonance is so different, isn't it? Very, very different. Right, the angle of your flute. Right, this comes from a Jerry Longstaff in Michigan. Should it be at 90 degrees? And uh, there's, there's been ongoing stuff on social media when people are uh, having a go at other people because they've got the lazy arm, they've got the arms at 45 degrees. And um, you, you see a lot of, obviously, American band flute players playing in at 90 degrees. At 90 degrees, yes. Um is there a right and wrong way? Because if you take a look, a snapshot of all the famous flute players I think that's probably ever lived, they're all at 45 degrees, they're not at 90 degrees. Uh, uh, yes, most of them, I would think. I, I can't remember seeing a photograph at 90 degrees, but it's quite difficult to explain over the airways this, um, because you have to sort of visualise it. So if you think, first of all, that everyone is shaped differently, so we're all going to look slightly different. There are always going to be variations, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Um, general advice is that for, this is for just holding the flute and posture, is that if you hold the flute away from your body with an angle of about 45 degrees from the end of the flute to your shoulder, to your, so your right shoulder and yep. the end of the flute, all right? So about, for, about 45 degrees, please do not go and measure it. Um, That's just one that shut me up, that wasn't it? Because I would say about 47 and a half or 48. <laughs> yeah, but do not measure. Um, and it's at a slight downward tilt. So it's not 90 degrees. Um, if you hold the flute at 90 degrees, uh, it causes tension. But more importantly, importantly, it's exhausting. You know, so I know a lot of the, the flute bands in America are told you must hold your flute up. You know, and not let it droop downwards, and it's it's so tiring, and it creates other problems because it creates an awful lot of of tension. So you have to think of your head turned slightly to the left, bring your flute to your mouth, not mouth to flute, push the end of the flute away from your body to create the forty five degrees, which allows you to breathe naturally, because if if you hug your body with your arms. You can't expand your lungs. So we don't mean chicken wing elbows. <laughs> so elbows just relax down, head slightly turned, tilted to the right. So it can be just slightly below the 90 degrees. You have to think that the, the end of the flute should not be at the same level as your mouth. It should be below the level of your mouth. The end of the flute, yeah. The end of the flute. Do you know, I'm tempted to get a flute out so you could actually um, show me. But again, it's totally useless. If you hold it up too high, it becomes tiring, causes tension. So it's a very slight tilt to the right. So not 90 degrees. And sat in orchestra, it'd be quite hard, wouldn't it, playing at 90 degrees? It would be incredibly hard. But, you know, orchestra gives a whole different set of problems because I know from... I remember uh, years ago uh, coaching a a wind orchestra. I was coaching the flutes in the wind orchestra. And there must have been about 15 flute players. And we'd had um, a really good session just with the flutes. And we talked about posture and 
how to think, what to think about when you're sitting down, because posture when you're sitting down in an orchestra is really difficult. And so I was saying to them, if you sit down straight on your chair and then you put your flute up, it'll be pulled, it feels like it's pulled back too far. So you need to turn your chair to the right so that your body is facing the conductor and that you've got that gap of the 45 degrees between the end of your flute and your right shoulder. Mm-hmm. So we, we had this big discussion, just the same as if you're playing when you're standing up. You know, the, the, the music stand is not dead in front of you. It's to the left of you so that you have this, this nice angle and you're, you're able to breathe. Can I, can I cover that again? Because I don't think we've actually covered that before, have we? When we stand in front of a music stand, mm. do you know, I think I might be as guilty as anybody else standing completely behind it. So you're saying put the music stand to the left. Yeah. Keep your flute parallel to the music stand and turn yeah. your body to the right. Oh, so as, as the benefit of the audience actually being able to see you then. Yes. <laughs> but the main, it's for the posture. Yeah. You mustn't let the music stand dictate how you dictate how you stand and create bad posture and then if you imagine if you imagine that and imagine if you're just going to sit down from that position your body is still turned to the right to enable you to have this this angle so when i was teaching this group then we went through all the the posture then they went to sit in the big wind band and the conductor told all the flutes to move their chairs and put them back into the proper position. Ah, they started clashing, did they? And Well, no, they weren't clashing, but they were. Um, he didn't like the fact that the flute chairs were angled differently to everyone else. So it was, had nothing to do with posture. So suddenly they all had terrible posture again with their flute level with their bodies, creating all the tension. Because, because as, as a group, they were more closed in, so they had to... Yeah, but each individual meant that the flute was sort of in line with their shoulders rather than pushed yep. out at that angle. So we, I had to have a quick little discussion with the conductor because, of course, all the flutes looked at me <laughs> and said to him, but that's what we've just been, just been taught. But if you look in a professional orchestra when the players aren't there, the flute players' chairs all turned to the right. I've never looked. Mm. Or they sit on the, the side, the, the, they're sitting sort of angled on the seat. Are you one of those that, when you go to the orchestral concert, sit at the back? How do you mean sit at the back? Well, there's always a group of people, quite a lot of people, the audience actually sit behind the orchestra, don't they? Oh, I see, sit behind the orchestra. Mm. Um, no, I haven't done that. No, I did it once. I was totally fascinated with percussion, but I won't go there. And also how much the brass section messes around. I don't even know why I bring this up, but um, I wouldn't have noticed that the orchestral chairs had been... The thing is, with professionals, you find that the, the, the optimum position, and the optimum position is your body... Your, your head and your flute are sort of facing the conductor and facing the music stand, but your body is to the right-hand side. So you've got that nice angle still. Yeah, so we're, we're, not, talking, we're not talking about um, 90 degrees. We're debunking 90 degrees. I mean, if somebody wants to play 90 degrees and they can be completely happy, does it matter? It doesn't matter if it works, but 99% of the time it it creates problems or can create problems. How about playing a piccolo? Can that be played at 90 degrees? I or think again, it's the same process, is I, it? I think a more relaxed version is slightly tilted. 
but it's slightly easier to play the piccolo at 90 degrees than it is flute. Yeah, it's a tiny piece of wood, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Much yep. lighter. And of course, the alto flute, there's no way you're going to be able to play that at 90 degrees. No, That's going to relax. You'd get ex- absolutely exhausted very, very quickly, and the same with the bass flute. So it's a, a slight tilt. So, Jerry, I, I think the answer to that is no, you don't have to play it at 90 degrees. And what is the correct angle? Well, I think Claire is probably saying tilted, but she's not saying 45 degrees and she's not saying really lazy at 25 degrees. She's basically saying find one that uh, is comfortable. Is comfortable. And no doubt that will bring, certainly if you're in America, that will bring certain disagreements with conductors probably. But, uh, Certainly in the in the marching bands. Yeah. Yes. But uh, the, the most important thing here is the angle between the flute and the body. The, the, the angle between the end of the flute and your right shoulder to keep that angle so that you have room to breathe. Perfect. Breathing. Yes, we won't go down that route, Claire. Not, not today. Not no. breathing. Right, we've got one from Paul Edmonds from Twitter. Now, Paul Edmonds... There's a word missing. It's not Paul Edmund Davis, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Paul Edmund. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the question is, what use is the alto flute when it only plays and sounds a few notes lower? For me, I actually adore the alto flute. I love the tone. I love the sound of it. And I suppose technically he's correct, isn't it? It's just that it, it sounds a few notes lower. And he's basically saying, what's the point? Why don't we just add an extra few notes to the normal concert flute? Yeah, if you're looking at it coldly and and trying to be logical sort of on paper which he probably is yes you, you might you might say that but let's let's start with some basic information about the alto flute first just yeah. to, Go on to set the scene so it has a larger di- diameter than the c flute yes and it's pitched in g mm-hmm. so that means it's a transposing instrument mm-hmm. um, if you finger and play the note c on an alto it will sound g a yes. fourth lower mm-hmm. If you're tuning up on an alto, you finger middle D, which results in the, our normal tuning note of A. Mm-hmm. If you want to play a piece on alto that's being written for C flute, you, it needs to be played a fourth higher. So a piece in C major for concert flute would be written a fourth higher, mm-hmm. which is F, and the key signature would have one flat, making it F major. Yeah. All right, so that's our background. Yeah. Um, but the sound world of the alto is completely different to the concert Absolutely. C flute. It has a warm and mellow tonal quality which lends itself to so many beautiful pieces. Um, there are transcriptions which sound much better on alto. And then, of course, many orchestral works. Um, if you think, which, which feature alto, if you think about Holst's The Planets, mm-hmm. Ravel, Daphnis and Chloe, wonderful solos. Many works by Benjamin Britten, Stravinsky, uh, Rite of Spring is, is the most well-known for, for alto flute, amongst others. Boulez mm-hmm. loved alto flute. So composers from the middle of the 20th century was started to realise the potential of using the alto and made such good use of it. It added a completely different sound world. And I suppose then if you take it a step further, the alto is a perfect companion to the concert flute and the piccolo, and uh, a contrast to the bass flute, because it adds this different sound palette with its rich and mellow tone. And it's an essential member, of course, of flute choirs, uh, chamber music group, or flute orchestras, adding sort of a a breadth of sound, which is deeper and richer, uh, almost like adding harmony. It adds a a roundness of sound to that, that sort of group. 
I know from a com- commercial perspective, when I first joined the company, say years and years ago, alto flutes weren't a popular instrument. They were, I wouldn't say they're endangered species like the bass was, but they would just sort of drip out around the world. Now it is very popular. I think we make a couple of thousand a year to go around the world, and that's an alto flute. Yeah, it's, it's, it's become incredibly popular. And it, it's just lovely. We've always had, most people have piccolo. Yes. So they swap between the two. But alto just adds something completely different. And I think it's because people think they're really expensive. But now you can get really good alto flutes at excellent value. Absolutely. I mean, when I was at college, I couldn't afford an alto flute. So um, when I first started working after college, so there was a, there was a college alto which people borrowed. Right. You know, so, th- so that was always out being used. But when I left college, uh, working professionally, whenever there was an alto flute part, I had to hire one. Mm-hmm. And um, that adds all its own problems of, of, of getting that organised, paying for it, uh, picking it up, taking great care of it, getting it back. And I remember there was one um, occasion, actually we were recording at the Abbey Road Studios, and... I'd hired a, an alto from All Flutes Plus. Mm-hmm. And um, because it had been a, a, a busy week for the alto flute, uh, they couriered it over to the studios, you know, motorbike courier. And um, so we did all our recording and um, thought it was a wrap. And the courier was there then to take the alto flute back. And sort of like a, a couple of hours later, the conductor said, Maybe we'll just redo that <laughs> little <laughs> section. And I had to say, I'm awfully sorry, but Alto Flute is already <laughs> wended its way along the London streets. A little bit embarrassing, but yeah, nowadays they're, they're much more accessible. Sony people have them. And it's a wonderful addition to the flute family. It's, it's lovely to play Alto Flute for a change. And what's interesting is it's the, the cost differential. Obviously, if you're going to buy a concert flute, you know, the pricing of a good concert flute could range from two and a half thousand dollars or pounds or whatever your local currency is up to fifty, sixty, seventy thousand, if not more, depending on the metal used. I think for an alto flute, you can get a really good alto flute for under three thousand dollars, two thousand pounds. And it re- as you say, it really does open up the tonal palette, the colour palette for you as a performer. Uh, for concerts, recitals, but also you can get more work, can't you? Uh, absolutely. If you if you can add not only piccolo but alto, fantastic. You know, your your uh, makes you far more flexible, um, and and also because it's it's so much cheaper to to buy them now. Uh, so many more flute choirs and flute clubs can afford to buy them and let people try them out. So. The individuals in the flute clubs don't need to have them, but the flute choir itself can own an alto or a bass flute and use them when they meet it every month or every week. And it's a lovely flexibility to your practice, isn't it? Oh, it is. It's it's a it's a I said it's a beautiful sound world. If you've never had a go, it's worth going to the flute shops and giving it a blow. Oh, absolutely. And um, talking about going to flute shops, then I'm, I'm digressing. Going to flute shops. Can we go to the coffee shop, Claire? <laughs> I think we're I think we'll draw to the end, shall we, on this one? Yep, time for a coffee. Time for a coffee and more importantly, when are you going to put the lights on?
Not yet. Ah, not even for me? No. <laughs> and the dogs are behaving, actually, this week, Claire. They're very good. Uh, the last last couple of podcasts I've recorded, we've had Minnie barking her head off and Pete's tail going crazy. Yeah, Pete's tail has been interesting because I thought you were tapping your foot. Yeah, that's no, when he dreams. Only, oh, ah, yeah. Yep. Right, everybody, thank you very much for listening this week. Thanks to the questions from Steve, Jerry and Paul. And I hope we've answered them in some way or another. We return and on the 23rd of December for our little Christmas podcast where we're going to be talking all things Christmassy. What Claire gets up to, what I get up to. And also, do we actually practice over Christmas or do we enjoy the festive season without that guilt? She's looking at me with it and she's laughing. <laughs> yeah, well, we can talk about that. <laughs> and any question, any more questions? Please send them in. We love getting the questions. We've, I think we've answered most of them that have come in this year. Yeah, there's a couple I think I'm going to save until early January, Claire. Something on your favourite subject, which is the Open G-Sharp flute, and also creating a practice plan. And I think that is probably best addressed at the beginning of January when we're all refreshed and motivated into 2020. What do you reckon? Yeah. Great. So- Well, I look forward to the coffee. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you once again to Claire for inviting me down to her lovely house in Hove. I think with these new microphones, we can't hear the seagulls, can we? No, no. It is a bit of a quiet morning. It is very quiet, and it's not sunny for change, and it makes me feel so great that you have the same weather as I do 40 miles away. It's winter, Jackie. It's winter. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.